<coughs> this is case 89 from the Shiroku, the Book of Equanimity. Dongshan's No Grass, the introduction. Move and you bury your body 10,000 feet deep. Don't move and sprouts grow right where you are. You must cast off both sides and let the middle go. Then you must buy some sandals and travel some more before you'll really attain realization. The main case. Dongshan said to the assembly, it's the beginning of autumn, the end of the summer, and you, brethren, will go, some to the east and some to the west. You must go where there is not an inch of grass for 10,000 miles. He also said, but where there is no grass for 10,000 miles, how can you go? Shishuang later said, going out the gate, immediately there is grass. And Dayang said, even not going out the gate, still grass is boundless. The verse. Grass, boundless, inside the gate, outside the gate, you see for yourself. To set foot in the forest of thorns is easy. To turn the body outside the luminous screen is hard. Look, look, how many kinds. For the while going along with the old tree, with the same emaciation in the cold, about to follow the spring wind into the skulls of the burning. Welcome some new friends today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, a brief explanation of uh, a Teisho, uh, or talk. Often the talks are uh, based on uh, a koan, which is a, a story from our tradition, a text from our tradition. And, um, and we work with text to make a connection between our everyday life and the practice. It also helps us understand the Zen tradition better. So, no grass for 10,000 miles. How can you go? During the years of traveling on this incredible path as a student and a teacher. I've had the privilege of sharing the journey with many practitioners. And I've said many hellos and many goodbyes as I watch people come and go through the gate, the gateway of our practice. Like many other practice centers, there is a natural ebb and flow of practitioners coming and going. Some stay for a day, others stay for a number of years, and some embrace their practice for the rest of their lives. And this is just the way it is, and that's fine. However, since we have a lot in common as human beings, it is worth looking into the underlying energies that are fueling an interest in practice and the energies that pull us away from it so we can develop a better understanding 
of how the mind moves and how karma works. Every practitioner naturally goes through fluctuations between periods of clarity and periods of obscurity, periods of ups and downs, and periods of further engagement, different kinds of engagement with the practice. Sometimes we feel deeply moved and encouraged, and sometimes we feel flat and less interested. And while this is natural and common, some of us know how to meet and walk through the fluctuations, and some of us view them as barriers that hinder the practice and even make the practice seem irrelevant or ineffective in terms of everyday life. So what makes the difference? Is it just a matter of whether or not there is a good match between Zen practice and the individual? Is it a matter of spiritual maturity? Is it about the degree of personal chemistry with a Sangha and a teacher? And while these aspects may play an important role in how we personally experience the practice, there are other significant aspects that we each need to intently examine. What are my expectations of the path? What is the level of my willingness to let go and surrender my self-centeredness? Am I aware of and in touch with habitual patterns of thoughts, thought and emotions? And what am I doing to maintain course and stay on the path while meeting life's challenges? And these questions can help us reconnect with the original bodhicitta, the energy that brought us, that arose in us and led us to seek for a practice center. It's important to note that people don't just wake up one morning and decide to look for a place of practice just because they have nothing better to do. It usually happens as a result of some inner pulsation of energy that moves in a very particular direction. In Buddhism, this energy is known as bodhicitta, or a way-seeking mind. When we follow this propulsion, or the propulsion of this energy, and become engaged with a wisdom tradition such as Zen, the arising bodhicitta is given the right nutrients so it can grow and flourish. Yet, there are other kinds of energies within us that move in different direction, also particular direction. And if we don't know how to recognize, accept, and work, learn to work with those energies, the resolve will be eroded. It happens quite often. So in terms of our expectations, it is common to hold on to the notion that the practice will solve issues and dissolve the challenges and hardships we face as human beings. And there's also an expectation that if we practice for a while, 
we will arrive at a peaceful and unchanging state of being. In other words, we have an expectation to always feel the same because we think there is a problem with fluctuations. So we think that there is, will be a time or a place or a state of being in which we will no longer experience pain, sadness, anger, disappointments, the natural ebb and flow of life. But how could that be so? How can we expect to feel or be the same while reality itself is in constant flux? There's nothing Buddhist about that. Reality is constantly changing. Yet we demand to feel the same or be the same. Or we think that there is such a place or such a state of being. And in regard to what we encounter in life, whatever we experience internally or externally is an opportunity to let go and surrender our self-centeredness so we can allow for spiritual growth, potentially. Everything we encounter is an opening for growth. As long as we don't compare, judge, analyze, or define it. And as long as we don't follow along with our likes and dislikes. By acknowledging our unrealistic expectations in the face of a changing reality, and learning how to see everything we encounter as an opportunity to relinquish the grip of the self are essential ingredients for nurturing bodhicitta and for sustaining a lifelong practice. In most cases, people quit the practice due to their unwillingness to acknowledge and unwillingness to let go. Unwillingness to accept and unwillingness to to dissolve. It's true that in most cases, most instances, there is, there is no awareness of this. However, not being aware of the unwillingness doesn't make it not so. So we have to understand the meaning of unwillingness. I may not be aware that I am unwilling to let go, but there is something in there that says, don't let go. And somehow, I'm obeying it. Somehow I find alignment with this kind of energies in me. So I wanted to bring up this koan today since it is dealing directly with the challenge of keeping the practice alive and integrating it with our everyday activities as we often note as one of the, the biggest challenges in our practice. Now, coming back a few weeks ago, more than that, a couple of months ago almost, from Sashin and almost finishing the Ango period, we, we experience, we often experience, we understand what it means to experience the waning and waxing of our determination and our discipline. And at this point in time, for all of us as a Sangha, this cycle is its 
is it in the waning part or the waning aspect of it. And this is why it's so important that we periodically look at, examine the level of the intensity, the level of my commitment, the level of the willingness. As you remember, coming down the mountain, those of you who went to Sishin, there was a lot of strength. There was this deep spiritual power. And it was very clear, it was palpable. A week or two or three later, something happened. And we have to ask, what happens? How do we go from feeling strong resolve, clarity, knowing the direction we want to stay on or the path we want to remain on, how do we go from there to doubting? What happens? You may shift and adjust. So this koan brings up a farewell talk Dongshan gave at the end of three months training period as the monks were about to disperse. And it's very fitting because not that long ago we finished a retreat, a Sishin, and we are about to finish Ango, training periods, intensified training periods. And the question is, now what? <clears throat> now that we have done what we have done, that we have cultivated some spiritual strength, some clarity, how do we move from here? So before everybody was about, were about to, everybody was going to leave, go in different places, going back home, going back to other places, Dongshan said, some of you will go to the east and some of you to the west. You must go where there is not an inch of grass for 10,000 miles. So now that you have developed some clarity, you have grown a bit in spiritual strength, you must go to a place where there are no challenges and no obstacles. You must go directly to a reality that poses no financial burdens has an ideal work situation, maybe kids that do exactly what you want and a house that does not require constant maintenance. Go find that. Look for reality without grass. And Dongshan is saying that you must go to a place that is wide, open, and clear. But is it possible? Well, that depends on the definition you have assigned to wide, open, and clear. Or what we think wide, open, and clear should not have in it. And the footnote to what he said says, he's luring cats into a dry well. Now, to lure a cat into a dry well means to know what the cat wants and to use it to tempt the cat with so the cat will follow 
fall into the well, get trapped, and die. Dongshan knows exactly what we want, what we long for. He knows exactly what the expectations are. And so with this statement, he's using it to lure us into a place with no complications. Maybe he wants us to die to the illusion that there is another place or there is such a place or that such a place does not include everything that's going on in our lives right now. There is such a place, there is such a time, or maybe there is another version of me that does not get trapped. And then he said, but where there is not an inch of grass for 10,000 miles, how can you go? How do you avoid complications? As long as we are alive, we are creating complications and there will be a mess to clean up, people to care for, bills to pay, laundry to wash, walls to patch, and a great deal of ignorance to deal with, whether it's in us or in others. As long as we're alive, we're going to feel encouraged and discouraged. We're going to feel free and trapped. And karma will show up. How? We don't know. How it will manifest. When we will be triggered. We don't know. It's just a fact. And that's not in question. The question is... Why are our expectations different or not in alignment with life as it is? We will experience pain. We will be sick. We will get old and we will die. And so will people around us, those we care deeply about. Again, it's not in question. So we have to ask, why are we not in alignment? Or why do we think that those things, instances of reality manifesting, why do we think that those are obstacles rather than opportunities? Because if we allow everyday life to move us away from the path, the path we chose to practice or the way we chose to live. What are we saying? We're saying that this is a problem and as long as there is a problem such as this, I cannot practice. If that's how we think, we have to ask, what do I think practice is? Or what do I think practice is about? So all of those everyday challenges, all that 
issues that we experience, the challenges, the, the difficulties, inside or outside, all of it is grass. Everyday life is made of grass, and that's why Dongshan is asking, how can you go to a place with no grass? Examine your expectation. Of course, there are consequences and effects to every word and every action. And there's no way out of this simple truth. Whatever we do will bear consequences. Whatever we avoid will bear consequences. Is that a problem? Is that an issue? Or if we see life as it is, as it really is, can this true seeing be a solution to a problem that does not essentially exist? Or can this true seeing shed light on our own creation? Right? We create an ideal in the head, in the mind, and then we insist that there is a way to find it. And I just found a great practice that will do that for me. This reminds me of this Japanese teacher who said when he started practicing, he, he felt that he found the best vacuum cleaner in the world. It's going to vacuum all the dust and that's it. No more complication, no more dust. Dust is another way to refer to the grass or issues. And then he realized that as soon as he turns the vacuum cleaner off, the dust starts to accumulate again. So why would Dongshan say you must go where there's not inch of grass for 10,000 miles and then added, but where there is not inch of grass for 10,000 miles, how can you go? Does the second line mean that there is no such a place and we are stuck in the grass? Or maybe there is such a place, but because it doesn't match our image of it, we can see that we're actually free while functioning within the grass. And with the inevitable, natural complications. And again, those complications include whatever is going on within the mind and whatever is going on out there in the world. Whether, it's, whether it pertains to me or not. All of it. Can it not, can it not vary? Can it not fluctuate? Can I wake up every morning and feel the same? And since the answer is no, the clear answer is no, then the question shifts to how do I meet rather than what do I expect to meet? 
which is where our freedom lies. What I expect to meet is not freedom. Because I'm saying, I'm afraid that I will not meet something else. I demand to meet this, and I do not want to meet that. How can I be free with such a demand? But when we wake up in the morning, not focused on being worried about what will arise, but being focused on how to meet what arises, then the road opens up naturally. And when we do it again and again every morning, we also develop trust that we have what it takes. We have what it takes to meet, move through, and dissolve on the go. So it's not about choosing between the bliss of realization away from the mess of everyday life or being stuck up, up to our neck in the mud. It's also not about looking for a way to reconcile the two. As the introduction says, move and you bury your body 10,000 feet deep. Don't move and sprouts grow right where you are. You must Cast off both sides and let the middle go. And then you get back on the road and go deeper into practice. You must buy some new sandals. And to buy new sandals, this is an ongoing relevant advice for all practitioners. Never mind what we have experience, never mind the level of or realization that we think we have arrived to at. Never mind that. Wake up again and again and again. And later on, Shishuang said, going out the gate, immediately there is grass commenting on Dongshan's statement. And this happened later. There's an interesting story about Shishuang's comment. During the Buddhist persecution in the ninth century in China, Shishuang find, found a hiding place in a potter's village and concealed the fact that he was a Zen teacher. One of the monks who happened to participate at Dongshan's training period afterwards went traveling and he ended up passing through that village, he came across Shishuang. And Shishuang asked him where he came from. The monk said he was at a, at a retreat, a Sishin with Dongshan. And Shishuang then asked him to share something from, what, uh, from Dongshan's teachings. And the monk said that before they dispersed, Dongshan said, you must go where there's not an inch of grass for 10,000 miles. And then he also said, where there's no inch of grass for 10,000 miles, how can you go? Then Shishuang said to the monk, going out the gate, immediately there's grass. 
Le Monk felt that this comment was unusual. And so when he returned to the monastery, he shared it with Dongshan. And Dongshan said, this is a saying of a teacher of 1,500 people. How many could there be in all China, all of China? After this, Shishuang was discovered and was appointed to be an abbot of a monastery. So Dongshan realized that this statement is unusual, or it's a statement of a practitioner. So he was found, brought out, and was appointed as an abbot. So going out the gate, immediately there is grass. And the footnote says, watch where you're going. Watch where you're going. Just watch, listen, experience. Don't compare, don't judge, don't quantify. Don't give it weight. Don't take it lightly either. Going out the gate, immediately there's grass. How can we avoid? Going down the mountain after a retreat, after a sishin, immediately there are complications. And then later on, Dayang said, even not going out the gate, still the grass is boundless. And the footnote to that says, there is no place for you to escape. There is no place for you to escape. The bottom line, and maybe the most important recognition for a practitioner or human being. And it may feel as if he's saying you're stuck. But in reality, he's saying, you are free. Or another way to say that, you're only free now. You cannot be free later. Because as long as there is that notion of, I will, be, I will find freedom later, Naturally, I am saying that because of this, 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 and that, I am not free now. Because of how I feel, because of my karma, because of life circumstances, because of my age, because of my looks, because of the assets I have or don't have, and on and on and on. Or because of the state of the country, or the world. If we're not free now, we're not free later. And if we long for a sense of freedom that we experienced some time ago, again, we are not free. Because it will not come back. Nothing does. The copying and pasting only happens in the head. Reality doesn't work this way.
Dongshan said, you must go to a place where there, is, there are no issues or complications for 10,000 miles. So as long as we define what arises as a complication, an issue, or an obstacle, it will feel as such. It will feel that way. And we'll naturally, we will naturally long for a place or a time that is free of that. However, if we fully embrace life without reservations, without judgments, and relinquish the desire to escape to a conceptual alternative of it, then this moment, this moment, as is, becomes a place of no grass for 10,000 miles. And the no here is pointing to a complete affirmation rather than a negation. We have to examine again and again how we hear the teachings. And beyond that, we have to examine how we hear and see life or reality the way it shows up moment by moment. Because if we look at it, if we look at the way we see things, we very quickly will see that it is very fixed. We, are, we have a very fixed way of seeing reality and reality is not fixed. So what's the natural conclusion? Move. Move, change, adapt, adjust, flow. All those great words, which essentially are meaningless unless we, unless we know how to practice them. Unless we put them to, to work at the moment or the moments that we feel stagnation, that we feel contracted, that we feel deflated. that we feel that we want to drop out of the practice or whatever it is we have decided to embrace. So when we face challenges throughout the day, we may just want to get through the day so we can finally put the head on the pillow when the day ends. It is, of course, understandable to function this way through the day, but but it's going to create a mental divide that will increase the level of the unease. And, the ter and in terms of practice, we're going to miss out on great opportunities to deepen our understanding. So that's one way to get through the day. Another way to get through the day is to actually show up to each moment rather than think about a later time which may feel different. How about this time as an opportunity to change. How about not defining it? Because what we call practice refers to moment-by-moment -moment life, however it shows up. We can choose to study what arises rather than get through the day. And we look back and may often feel that we lost opportunities to deepen. Afterwards, when we feel better, 
And it usually happens when we feel better. We look back at the challenges we went through and may feel that we lost an opportunity. We may feel that there was another way to be at that moment or to meet that moment and we did not do it. What's well, a lot easier in hindsight. But that's okay because the new challenge is around the corner. So how will we meet the next challenge is the question. Aitken Roshi said, distractions or obstructions are just negative terms for your context. Circumstances are like arms, your arms and legs. They appear in your life to serve your practice. Everything appears in your life to serve your practice. And he says, as you become more and more settled in your purpose, your circumstances begin to synchronize with your concerns. Chance words by friends, books, and poems, even the wind in the trees brings precious insight. Everything potentially can bring this precious insight. And I think often when we are challenged, when there is pain, when there is some level of suffering, there is a greater potential for transformation. We are much more awake and much more alive when we are challenged. The verse, grass, boundless. And the footnote says, below, no bottom, to the sides, no border. Well, if there are no borders, if there is no bottom, if there is no top, who's defining what? How can it be defined? Inside the gate, outside the gate, you see for yourself. And this is what we practice. We are the witnessing presence. We watch during Zazen. We develop that we work on developing that neutral vantage point from which we can see what is not neutral at all. Thoughts are not neutral. Emotions are not neutral. Opinions. Yet, to watch, to observe what is not neutral while remaining neutral, doesn't that change the quality of the meeting moment? or the moment of meeting, whatever arises? So of course the question is, how do we mobilize it? You see for yourself. You do it. Each of us. To set foot in the forest of thorns is easy. Easy to get trapped. To turn the body outside the luminous screen is hard. And the luminous screen is referring to 
having a sense of realization, some sense of clarity. How do, the, how do you turn the body outside? How do you function after having some sense of expansion or expansiveness in your zazen, after feeling some level of spiritual strength, then meeting reality, meeting life, meeting the challenges, meeting the pain. How do we bring it with us? How do we take it off the cushion? This footnote to that line says, the clear ground fools people. No realization can be an incredible experience, but it also can be a great challenge to bring it to life to, in, in such an ex, to such an extent that we may want to go back to the experience. And that's always our challenge. How do we merge the two? And it says, look, look, how many kinds, how many options do you think you have? For the while, going along with the old tree, with the same emaciation in the cold, about to follow the spring wind into the skulls of the burning. This is what the practice is about, those last two lines. You know, the practice, we, we can sum it up. The practice is about just one thing. It's about realizing unity. Just that, realizing unity. And of course, when we realize unity, we shed light on our self-centeredness, on the illusion of a separate existence which gives rise to our self-centeredness. It works for me, it doesn't work for me. You know, practice itself, sometimes people quit because they, they say it doesn't work for me anymore. And of course, it was never meant to work for you. You just realized that it's not going to work for you ever. It works for all at once. And if we cannot break that shell of the ego, the cocoon of the ego, we will quit because it won't work for me. And the footnote to that last line says, just keep today's determination and you'll surely have a time of fulfillment. There's no way to know how much greater it is to break the shell and come out of it. We don't know why we try to make everything work for us. 
because we think that was going to lead to some sense of fulfillment, some ease, contentment. And it does for a very short period of time or times. So just keep today's determination and you'll surely have a time of fulfillment, a life of fulfillment. In the commentary says, if you keep sitting in the clouds, the source is not marvelous. And this is actually referring to that line. Going along with the old tree with the same emaciation in the cold, about to fall the spring wind into the skulls of the burning. Going directly to what we try to avoid. That's where we find it. Not away from it. Not away from challenges. Not away from pain. Not away from difficulties. Not away from the way karma manifests in us today. You know, the Buddha said, the world may be in conflict with me. The world may be in conflict with me. But I am not in conflict with the world. I may encounter all those negative energies directed at me. What do I do? What is my responsibility? Now, encountering, it doesn't mean necessarily from outside. I may encounter it from within. How do I meet it? So maintaining a practice it's kind of like navigating a great ship in the ocean. The expectation that we will not meet waves or we will meet these kind of waves is obviously unrealistic. We don't know what the weather will be. We don't know how rough or calm the sea will be. We don't know. So we have to stay alert. We have to know to navigate. We have to know to maintain course. Not to allow the waves to change the course for us. And the waves are everyday life waves. Sometimes they're rough. Sometimes calm, smooth. And when the, the ocean is smooth, it's easy. It's easy to maintain course. You barely have to do anything. Just keep one finger on the wheel, right? And it just goes straight or even let it go. The momentum will keep going. But then it gets rough. Then we need both hands on the wheel. Peel our eyes wide open. Watch, listen, embrace. So watch, listen, embrace wholeheartedly because it's easy to lose it. And it's a shame if we do.
Thank you.